My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, we've got several different things that we're doing today, and I'm excited about that. Um, and you're going to need uh, the entire New Testament. Well, the Gospel of Mark, and <clears throat> excuse me, the Gospel of Mark, and uh, the Book of the Acts of the Apostles. So we will be over there for just a hot minute, uh, but most of the time in Mark, uh, but a little bit of time uh, looking at a very old piece of literature and uh, talking through a couple different ramifications from that. So. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 14, so we'll start with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? Sometimes it is super hard not to get excited when I see friends come in. <clears throat> like super hard not to get excited. This is when my wife reminds me that I can't dance. So, like I, I think I am, but she tells me I'm not. She says my feet have to actually move for that to actually count. So I don't. That's why we appreciate Julie. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. She is a blessing. <laughs> So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? He's making me more aware of how much more watchful we need to be now uh, yes. than ever before. Okay. Amen. Making us aware of how much more watchful we need to be than ever before. Yes. All right. Ron, good morning. Mom's here today. Uh, Jessica's mom's here today, so she says hello. She's not online, so that's why you don't see her. So FYI. Um, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. Now, how many times have you been with us in the series in Mark in person? In person? Yep. This is my first. This is your first. Now, how many, how many would you estimate to the closest 10 that you have seen online? Oh, gosh. I've been watching for since you went online. Since you went online. That's awesome. So well, welcome. I missed one. You missed one. I missed one, yes. You are forgiven. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> awesome super impressive thank you for that it's a very it's a very uh big encouragement to me each week to see you guys and your faithfulness so thank you all right anybody else what is god doing in you through his word from the portion of mark we have studied so far dave yep That's right. It's, it's evil and bad on a, on, a, on a scale that you don't even see or comprehend. Yep. And they were able to justify it. Yeah. yeah. The justification of evil on a grand scale. Yeah. And if only that had been eradicated from the world. Yeah. 
which also points us to the hope we have in Jesus Christ yeah. and that there is a future where evil will be eradicated from the face of the world. And that's, you know, to me, the way I would try to respond to what is going on in the world is that um, Jesus is a bigger answer because we have bigger problems. Mm. Jesus is a bigger answer because we have bigger problems. Did you rehearse that or is that just off the top of your head? No, that's, off the top of my head. that's pretty good. There you go. That's your good thought for the week right there, brother. I'll, That's... I'll park on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and let's read through the first half of Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> I'll go through verse 31. At this point, I know where I'm reading to, so that's helpful. So, here's that. so Mark chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. <clears throat> and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all will fall away, I will not. 
And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So in Mark chapter 14, we are just a handful of days away from the actual crucifixion. And Jesus is, as Dave mentioned just a second ago, the, the plot uh, not only thickens, but it becomes thicker in a more uh, imminent, close, they're very, very near where they're actually going to pull this off, and they being the chief priests and the scribes. Then we move to this scene that we saw last week where Jesus was anointed at Bethany, and then as Mark is uh, apt to do often in his gospel, there will be a negative story, a positive, and a negative. Uh, the theologians call this the sandwich. And the sandwich here is the, the anointing at Bethany. And so today we look at verses 10 and 11. And if you don't already have a handout, you can, uh, we've got several over there. It's one piece of paper. Craziness, right? And for those of you online, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com. Hello, Julie Gregg. Hello, Amy Blosen. Good to have you guys with us. Thank you. Uh, but our two verses today are verses 10 and 11, talking about Judas Iscariot. And if you, if you read through the four Gospels, you will have a sense that Mark deals with Judas in a fundamentally different way than Matthew, Luke, and John. Matthew, Luke, and John actually spend a lot of time referencing, commenting, uh, describing, there's a lot more that goes on there as opposed to Mark. We are in chapter 14 of 16, and this is only the second time in Mark's gospel that Judas is mentioned. <clears throat> so let's take a look. Verse 10. Then Judas, so this name actually shows up four times in Mark's gospel. The first is in Mark 3.19. Let's flip over there. I tell you this often, and we don't always get to see it as explicitly as it is listed in Mark chapter 3. But order matters. And the order in which the Bible writers put things mattered. They're communicating things here. So in verse uh, 16, Jesus appoints the twelve. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So that's the first time that Mark mentions Judas. And um, there's a reason most of the gospel writers put this little parenthetical afterwards. So what's the reason? What, there was what? Another. There was another Judas, yeah. There was actually several other Judases. Uh, the next time the name Judas is mentioned is in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And if you ever have someone tell you that Mary remained a virgin perpetually, Mark chapter 6, verse 3 is a great verse for that. Uh, they're talking about how Jesus is rejected here at Nazareth in verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Jesus was one of at least seven, possibly more. Right? I'm not sure how many sisters he had, at least two. But Judas was a common name, right? So you want to make sure you're not insulting the wrong guy because it's actually pretty easy to do. Uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, in uh, group text messages, 
which I believe are at least the seventh or the eighth level of the thing that we're going to talk about here in a minute. In group text messages, uh, you can, in, in an, on an iPhone, you can now tag somebody specifically who you're talking to. It's just a tag. I don't need that much tag. It's just, it's like over, but I want to make sure, because I have a couple of groups that I'm in, where there's more than one person with the same name. So you, the Bible writers here are just being clear. I'm not talking about Judas, Jesus' brother here. So the third time it shows up is in uh, Mark 14.10, the verse that we're in today. And then the last time that Judas, Judas is mentioned is in 14.43. So flip back over to 14.43. And immediately while he was speaking, this is Jesus was speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And that's it. We don't mention Judas anymore. So he's the betrayer. He's talked about once here in early in 14 at the Lord's Supper, and then he does the deed that he is uh, famous for. Now, the next word that shows up in Mark 14.10 uh, is Iscariot. Now, how many of you guys grew up thinking that the Bible characters had last names? Because they had to, I did. Very much so. And I thought, like, this is a scary. This is Judas' last name, right? No, 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 no. It's actually, it means an inhabitant of Kerioth. So let's go to the next slide here, Dave, just a second. Uh, and before we get to that, I do want to, I do, I want to talk just a second about um, how Judas is known and referenced throughout history. So let's talk for a second. So if we have, if we had a spectrum of Jesus Christ and his righteousness is here. And the worst of the worst of the worst is on this end. And I, so for just a second, take your good theology hat and set it to the side. We're all on this end. Let's just make sure we all understand. We're all as far away from Jesus' righteousness as we can get. But if we had to rank all the evildoers and the sinners in the world, who's going to be on the far left? Like, who's over here? Hitler, right? Hitler's the easy answer, right? Don't ever make any comparison with anybody to Hitler. It will not go well. It is not going to, like, it is not a good thing, right? So Hitler's way over here. Who else? Judas. Judas pretty much, right? Yeah. So there was a, uh, uh, an Italian uh, writer, uh, Dante, who wrote a work called The Divine Comedy. Anybody ever read The Divine Comedy? Yes, a couple, handful, right? In The Divine Comedy, uh, Dante references the nine circles of hell. And this is actually uh, Botticelli's picture of Dante's nine circles of hell. Uh, and so you start up here at the top with your general, everyday kind of, like you're, you're not a good guy, right? And you progress through the nine circles. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk you through the nine circles real quick. So the first circle is limbo. So the Catholic Church would say, we're hanging out and waiting to determine that your relatives, does anybody love you, pray you out of limbo, get you into heaven, you're good to go. Second circle is lust. Third circle is gluttony. Gluttony was worse than lust, which is interesting in our minds. Uh, then you have greed. Now, if you're, if you're counting rings, don't count rings. That's not the way this works. Because there's different subsections to each circle. Of it. So you're going to get really off really quickly. So just we're progressing downward here. The fifth circle is anger. The sixth circle is heresy. The seventh circle is violence. The eighth circle is fraud. Mm. 
Isn't that crazy? Fraud. So way down here, now at the very bottom, this is Satan himself, right? So we're, we're working towards Satan. So if, we're, if we think about who's way over here, well, this is Satan way over there. The ninth circle is treachery. So if you think back in all of literature, who are the most famous people that were treasonous, that were treacherous to those over them? Well, Judas, right? Who else? Brutus, that's exactly right. Judas and Brutus are hanging out with the devil in the ninth circle of hell. Like, this is kind of how, this is how bad, and, and when, he, when he wrote this work, and when Botticelli painted this picture, everybody went, yeah, that's about right. That makes sense. So, like, this is how he's viewed, but Mark doesn't really make that big a deal about him. I mean, he, he's very clear about what he does. But it's not this over-emphasizing uh, and emphasizing and emphasizing. The other gospel writers who come later, remember because Mark's first out of the gate, the other gospel writers who are later expound upon this because that's what the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. So one more point. So we talked about this word Iscariot. Let's go to the next slide, Dave. Uh, Iscariot means inhabitant of Karioth. Uh, and if you look at the map that I gave you guys, Karioth is not on the map anywhere. We think, we sort of kind of think it's about 10 miles south of Hebron, which is south of Jerusalem. And this is where Gary, our pastor, gets that awful joke that he tells that the good disciples were from the north and the bad disciples were from the south. Right? So if you haven't heard him tell it yet, this is his geographical justification for said joke. Uh, sorry, so we've got Judas Iscariot. We've defined who this is. Who was one of the twelve, yes. And don't tempt me to park out on that comment. You can be one of the twelve. You can be a follower of Christ. You can be a disciple of Christ. You can look like the right thing. You can act like the right thing. But a day is coming when the truth will be told and separation will occur, the sheep from the goats. So he was one of the twelve. He went to the chief priests. Now, why would he go to the chief priests? Yeah, like it's time to do this, right? This is, the, this, is, this is where we are. Jesus has actually been saying this over and over and over to the apostles. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the chief priests, and this, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be uh, uh, tortured. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again. So he goes to the chief priests in order to betray him. Now, verse 11, and when they, who's the they? Chief priest from the context, right? Now, if you look at the other Gospels, there's some combination of chief priests and elders, chief priests and captains, chief priests and Pharisees, but not one of the Gospels says that Judas goes to the chief priests and scribes. But look back up in verse 1. What does verse 1 say? Mark 14, 1. Chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. This is an open question for me. 
I don't know why the scribes were not specifically targeted and explained as being a part of the group that participated in the actual betrayal. They are talked about as it, they are referred to as it. The closest I can get is one of the gospels says the chief priests and the elders, which many of the scribes would also have fallen into the bucket of elders. Some of the scribes would have fallen into the pharisaical uh, group, but not too many. So just FYI, that's where my brain went when we were studying for this. So verse 11, so when they, when the chief priests heard it, they were glad. They were glad. Now, when's the first time that the chief priests following Jesus start to show up in Mark's gospel that we're after him? We're after him. Does it take us very long into Mark's gospel to see this? Like, no, like shockingly early in Jesus' ministry. Because they, these guys craved power. They craved uh, financial power. They craved political power. They craved religious power. And they're wanting to make sure that they protect what they are in charge of. So when they get one of the 12, they're glad. And it wouldn't have been hard for Judas to figure out who to go to because they've been following him around for years, right? Uh, I have a friend of mine, Thomas Winterstrom, who uh, worked as a political operative for one of the major political parties. And his job, like one summer, was to go to the opposition's party and record everything that that candidate said for potential future use against said candidate if they said something and slipped up. Like his job all summer long was just to record. And he would, he would tell me how some of these conversations, he said, yeah, you go to so-and-so's camp and they're just, they are mean people, like it is not good. And you go to so-and-so, like, yeah, they give me coffee and donuts and they're really nice and it's cool. And, but everybody knows who everybody is and which side you're on. And it's super transparent. Right? I kind of feel like that's as close as I can get to this scenario where you've always got the folks listening. Remember, because they were listening for a very specific purpose to bring a charge to lay against Jesus so that he would be condemned and then he could be killed. So they're listening for a purpose. Judas would not have to, to go, well, I want to like, I I betray Jesus, but who should I go? Any one of these dudes that have been following you around for years could have got you in touch with the right person. Like This would be shockingly simple to go figure out. So verse 11 they view, yes, sir. So, how much. I'm thrilled to have y'all back in there. How much of a choice that Judas had? Ah. Jesus, ah. If Jesus knew that this was going to happen, so wouldn't you try to tell the soul that's falling to, you know, to come to Jesus? Or do you just let him do his thing because you know what's going to happen? So he's the disciple. I think you ask a beautiful question. I would change one word in it. You drew a distinction between Jesus either reaching out or letting him do. I think we have evidence Jesus does both. Because he poured into Judas for at least three years as they were followers. We don't get any, this is one of the, this is one of the shocking things. Uh, Jen Ayers helped me see this several years ago. One of the shocking things about the New Testament, we don't see Jesus treat Judas differently anywhere in the Bible 
except in where they where he is dipping the bread into the wine and like the one who's doing this with me is the guy and they still all didn't get it right like that's the only time that I can tell that Jesus treated Judas any differently so how did Jesus generally treat his disciples love compassion patience 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 but you know right How much, how much of an offer do we need to give him, right? I mean, I, you, you could easily make the argument that Judas got way more Jesus than pretty much any 20 or 30 other people on the planet that have ever lived. And he still went the other way. Um, I still feel sorry for him. Yes, Absolutely. That's right. Yes. It was what? It was prophesied. Are you telling me that God knew in the Old Testament what was going to happen in the New Testament? <laughs> yes, and it bothers me. Let's go to the prophecy real quick, and then we're coming to you, Bethany. All right, Acts chapter 1. I was going to end with this, but you guys brought the prophecy up, so it's cool. Let's go to the prophecy. Uh, this is one of the handful of things that I really like about the formatting of the text in the ESV translation. When there's a reference to an Old Testament verse, it's really kind of separated in the text so you can really see it clearly. Um, so let's start looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 15, which is where nobody who goes to Acts starts in chapter 1, I promise you. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, so just so we're aware. Uh, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension has all taken place. Apostles and the disciples are hanging out. They're trying to figure out what to do. Maybe we should obey Jesus. We probably should. Peter takes the lead. He says in verse 16, brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled. You're like, whoa, time out. When did Peter become the Old Testament scholar, <laughs> right? I mean, this, is, this to me is as evidence of the change that happens in a believer when Jesus is Lord and the Spirit is indwelling of anything, right? The, the brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. You're like, what? David talked about Judas? who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, which is about as kind a way as you can put that, right? Well, he just, he like told him where he was gonna be, which is fundamentally, so Mitch, I'm following up on our conversation from a couple of weeks ago. I fundamentally think that's what Judas did. What were the chief priests and the scribes and the elders scared of in Mark 14, one and two? They're scared of the crowd. They're scared of the result of the the mass, the mob, the throng, they wanted to do this when he was not near them. Judas was helpful in telling them this is when he's alone. Like that's fundamentally the data point that he brought to them that was the, oh, this was helpful. Which Peter, of all people, I love the redemption of Peter. 
uh, draws out. Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Big parenthetical. Okay. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, uh, Akeldama, that is the field of blood, end of parenthetical. Peter goes on, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Now I'm going to give you a nickel if you can read that psalm a hundred times and see a connection to Judas Iscariot from that line. Like, whoa. But Peter, documented under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, here's the connection. And, wait, there's another one, let another take his office. Which is where we get Matthias in the 13th slash 12th apostle. So there was a prophecy about Judas. And again, I will say, had Peter not called this out, I'm never connecting those dots, right? Ever, ever, ever. That does not look to me like a clear line between X and Y. That looks like, I don't know how we got from there to there. But this is also one of the things that confuses me about prophecy. I don't always connect these dots very readily. So, all right, circling back to Bethany. Yeah, and, and I think there's a heck of a warning here to those of us who serve in any ministry in a church function that the thing in which we serve in can be the temptation to actually actively oppose the work of Christ, which should terrify us in the way in which we serve. Um, fear and trembling regularly <laughs> in this space. So what I'm not going to try to do today is to reconcile the free will versus the choice question. The next time we circle back through uh, systematic theology, or if we do Romans again, maybe in 20 years, uh, I might have grown enough to tackle that one. I have what I think the Bible says about this, but we're not going to go there today. All right, so verse 11. And when they heard it, the chief priests, they were what? glad. One of the saddest words in the entire Bible right there, they were glad. They were glad. Now this word means two different things. It shows up twice in Mark's gospel and it has one definition for one. The first is to be cheerful or happy or well off. That's the 
It's how it's used here in Mark 14, uh, 11. And the second is in Mark 15, 18, when one of the uh, guards, uh, let's see, yeah, the soldiers in verse 16 uh, are the, the actors here. In verse 18 they say, And they, the soldiers, began to salute him, Jesus, Hail, King of the Jews. You're like, where's glad in that? Well, it's the word for hail or salute. It's just the idea that they were uh, to greet someone, to uh, salute them, to engage and say, you're good. Everything's good. Everything was not good. He was on the cross at that point, right? When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him, Judas, money. And in some other gospels, it talks about how much and the details and all of that. And then we go on and it says, And he, Judas, sought. The word sought here is in the imperfect tense, which means he continually or repeatedly happened to do this. So he, he then switched on. Think about a, um, an, uh, like a Manchurian candidate type of a, I'm now on and actively pursuing how to betray this group that I am in. If you've never seen that movie, get the one with Denzel. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Uh, now I'm going to have to Google that, and my son and I are going to have to watch it this afternoon because I can't imagine he's ever seen it. So here we go. So Caleb, if you're listening, that's what we're watching this afternoon. Uh, and Judas sought, he, he continually sought an opportunity to betray him. And again, we're getting back to this. We've got to get him alone so that we don't make a ruckus in front of the crowd so that everybody doesn't go crazy so that like, this is where we are. Now, this word betray shouldn't be a surprise to any of us in Mark 9, 31 and Mark 10, 32. Jesus has used this particular word to the disciples to say, this is what is going to happen to me. And the irony in this is that he's talking to the group, and one of that group is going to actually perform this work against him. So he sought an opportunity to betray him. So, what is the point? All right, this is where I was going to end, Josh. But thank you for getting there earlier, because it makes more sense now. Now it, just, now it doesn't look like I just threw it on at the end. Now it doesn't look like a PS, right? All right, so number one, uh, Scripture will be fulfilled. And if you want to reference Acts 1, 15 through 20, Scripture will be fulfilled. Even the Scripture that is not crystal clear to us until after it is over. Um, one of the things that, that really helped me when we went through systematic theology, we were talking about end times and our understanding or lack thereof at the end of all things. And I, I made the comment, when we get to the end of all things and look back at all of history, things will make far more sense from that perspective when we know who God is and how he actually engages with us than they do in the middle of it. And we all get a glimpse of this in our lives, right? We can say, well, five years from now, you're going to have a better understanding of what's going on right now because you've got a broader perspective and more, yeah, this is the way we functionally work as linear human beings, right? So application number one, scripture will be uh, fulfilled. So what do we do with that? Uh, I would say be found faithful, uh, specifically in study. I, it, it's kind of embarrassing that I can read those psalms. Even right now, I can read them and go, Take a Peter's word for that, right? And then application number two, you don't have much room, so we're just going to limit it to two today. Uh, the end matters. The end matters. 
How Judas's story ends matters. How Jesus' story ends matters. So what do we do with that? Well, maybe be found faithful. Both in abiding in Christ and in obedience to Christ. So we talked about Italian poets, Italian painters, geography, something that I didn't reference, but did reference at the same time, which I thought was pretty good. So we'll just keep that between the three of us, right? Uh, and Judas Iscariot. <clears throat> now, I will tell you this. I like the way Mark deals with Judas because Judas is not the main character. And no matter what we walk away from this particular text thinking, don't forget Judas is not the main character. Jesus is the main character. And his story continues and will continue and is continuing and will continue to continue. It's unbelievable and amazing. So next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Mark 14, 12. There's your blank, Mark 14, 12. And uh, looking at the text of the Passover with the disciples. So a couple of good weeks of that. And if you want a preview of what some of that will be, um, specifically starting in verse 22, we're going to have to spend some time in Exodus. So just if you want to read through the Passover sections of Exodus, that would be a good preview for the next couple of weeks of Sunday school lessons. But with that, uh, let's turn to our weekly update. So each one of you should have one of those at your table. Make sure your name's at the bottom of the page. Share any prayer requests. We've got a section for this week only and a section for ongoing. And uh, pray as a table, write down your requests, lean in, engage, pray for somebody that's not with you, and uh, then let's go and worship this one whose story never ends, who invites us into his story, which redeems our story, makes it part of history, and is a beautiful thing. So, thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.